Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there the re-watchingtons bomb and it's full Ooh. and unadulterated cut early drops of cinephobe episodes and so much more said the og pod now is it new or is it old mace i'm glad you asked that it is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old og pod oh. so it's me zach trey Waz, tom i love those guys just like we always were going back to the true hoop days mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic recapturing it and putting it back out we're talking hoops we're talking pop culture and most importantly we're talking for 40 minutes for free mm-hmm. but then another specific patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes funny enough about that og pod you're getting tom and trey on mondays you're getting me and waz aka zosny on wednesdays Amin's floating in between i'm a floater you never know when you're gonna get Amin in those so you gotta listen to them all and what if i'm not sure what maze looks like because i've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora he's got a weird voice how can i see for myself what this maze character actually looks like it's crazy you don't know the answer to this mm. because it's the cinephobe pod youtube page what the ct5s on the cinephobe pod youtube page you can look at all of us you can get all the og pods on youtube too at count the dings one on youtube at cinephobe pod on youtube patreon.com slash count the dings gets you everything all in one feed you can link it to your spotify and now enjoy the show Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tom, a very special day on Pack Your Knives. We have the Dean. We have the Grand Poobah. We have Tom Colicchio. Three years in the making. I never thought this day would come. We've tried many times. We have swung and we have missed. But today we landed Tom Colicchio, who we learned, Kevin, is a big basketball fan. This is Pack Your Knives. I'm Kevin Arnovitz. And I'm Tom Haverstrow. We're joined right now by someone who needs no introduction to fans of Top Chef and fans of this podcast, Tom Colicchio. This is a conversation we've been chasing for three years since we started this <laughs> podcast. Tom, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. You know, all, all things considered, um, my restaurants are all closed. Um, 
And uh, the strange thing about it is I'm busier than I've ever been. So um, I'm not sure how that happened, but, uh, but yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy your conversation with Terry Gross at what is a precarious and, and kind of really a heartbreaking time for the restaurant and food service world. And one of the things that struck me was that, uh, you know, it's not that we lack food supply in this country. We lack an effective food supply chain. And it's something you've been talking about, food policy, for years. And so in your view, if you were the food god with unilateral power, <laughs> what should the American food supply chain look like in five years? Well, in five years, I think what I would do is is use uh, the laws that are already on the books to, to break up some of these uh, large food processors. They become monopolies at this point, and uh, uh, some of the practices are really predatory uh, in terms of pricing, in terms of the way they treat farmers, and and uh, and so I think I think that would be the first thing is use some of the antitrust laws that are already on the books. You don't need to create new laws and just break them up and spread everything out. Um, you know, right now we have 800 meat processors in this country, right? 50 of them process 90% of the meat that we eat. Oh. So what are the other 750 doing? Well, what they are is there's 25 different licenses that, that go out to food uh, meat processors. And the big guys make sure that there's very little that they can do. And so when you have these small regional farms, like I have a house out in, on the North Fork on Long Island and, there are people that are, are growing chicken and pigs and lamb, and, and they have to send their animals to Connecticut to get, to get slaughtered. There, there are no small regional slaughterhouses um, near Long Island. There is one, but it was run by, the, by Cornell for the prison system. It was run by inmates, but it was only for the prison system. And so there, there are no – and even then, there's no small facilities where, let's just say you're raising animals uh, and you can, you can actually you know, kill the lamb – are, are pigs, but you can't actually break them into pieces. And so you have to sell them whole. So there's, there's 25 different licenses that, that can be given out. And I think that those restrictions need to be eased up a little bit. Um, we need more small regional slaughterhouses and processors. And what that does, is it spreads the process, the production out. And so our production is more resilient. You know, in San Diego, one Smithfield plant closed down and they, um, they process 5% of all the pork in this country. And, you know, I would make it where no one factory can produce more than, you know, three or 4%. Um, and then what that, what that will do is actually will create jobs in rural America because you'll, you'll spread those plants out a little bit. Um, and then I think, you know, the pandemic is, is really clearly, um, uh, you know, lifting the veil on, on how fragile our system is. But I think in order to, to make it more resilient, number one needs to be spread out. Um, just, you know, maybe we're not going to get hit with another pandemic anytime soon, but we're certainly going to get hit with big storms, you know, due to um, the climate changing. And uh, we, we don't want one particular area to get, you know, if they get hit hard with the storm and shuts things down, it creates disruptions. So I think that's number one. That's, uh, that's something that we can do. Um, I, I would like to see more regional um, farms that can sell directly into cafeterias, school cafeterias. Mm. Um, and again, this is all about processing because, you have farms, especially in the Northeast, that produce most of their food in the summer when school sessions are out. And if they sell into the school system, most of the cafeterias aren't cooking and prepping food anymore. They're just reheating it. And so if you had a processor sort of in between that could take that food regionally and process it and get it into the school system, what that does, farmers, it creates markets for those farmers, additional markets, so they can actually 
um, you know, increase uh, the amount of, of food they produce and actually uh, uh, get better get better pricing and actually have a market. Uh, you know, right now, if you're a small farmer, you sell at your farm stand, maybe you can sell in a farmer's market, you sell direct to restaurants. Maybe there's some regional uh, supermarkets that may buy some of your produce, but it just expands markets for farmers and actually helps some of the smaller farmers. Um, yeah. And then, you know, one thing that needs to happen is, is we need to do, spend a little more money on, on research and development on, on increasing yields for what is known um, that the USDA uh, labeled um, specialty crops, otherwise known as fruits and vegetables. Um, right now, all that, that ag um, research goes into corn and soy. And so we created a hell of a lot of corn and soy on fewer acres, um, but we haven't spent that money in research and development into stuff that we actually eat. And so what that would do, if we can produce more on the same acreage, um, we can actually produce more nutritious foods, not corn and soy that mostly goes for ethanol and feeding animals. Um, we could feed people more nutritious food if we had um, more. And then, again, regional distribution would help too. Uh, fresh product is hard to move around. Um, so that's some of the things that I would do, um, uh, would, would definitely, you know, we have a problem in this country where nutrition is expensive, but calories are cheap. And so people who are struggling to feed their families, uh, they have to rely on cheap food, dense in calories, not a lot of nutrition. And so often you see obesity, uh, in, in families that are living in poverty for that reason. And so that needs to be changed. We need to get more nutritious food, uh, to people who can't necessarily afford it, uh, um, which would mean a, a more robust uh, SNAP system or food stamp program. Um, and keep in mind that most people who receive SNAP are from working families. Um, and so, uh, you know, SNAP also, the majority of it is elderly, uh, people with disabilities, vets with disabilities, and children. And so uh, I would do that. And I would also make sure that the school lunch program has much more nutritious food and that it's free for all. Right now, there's a three-tiered system. We should get rid of that and make lunch free for all. So Amen. Those, are some of the, those are some of the things that I would do if I were the food czar. Food God, yes. Um, Tom, you, you, uh, there are not many silver linings in this pandemic in the restaurant industry or in the entertainment industry, sports industry. Here in Charlotte, uh, there are no Charlotte Hornets games going on. There's no sports going on. What we do have is Top Chef. And so there is uh, a little bit of silver lining that Top Chef is happening right now. And that's for many fans, uh, sports. And that's kind of what we looked at with this podcast was, hey, we're sports writers. We kind of analyze Top Chef like it's a sport. Why don't we just start a podcast? And one of the questions that Kevin and I have wondered for years, how did Top Chef start? Every great thing had to evolve from an idea. That someone brought to you back yeah. in 2005. How did Tom Calicchio get involved with a thing called Top Chef? Yeah, number one, I wish it were my idea. Um, it wasn't. I, I, had a, I received a phone call from a producer, uh, Shona Minoprio, who was our first executive producer, just out of the blue. And they said they were working on a show and, and, and they thought I'd be great for it. And I declined. Um, at oh. the time... Oh, at the time, there was another uh, food reality show out there, and I promised the chef I wouldn't mention it ever, um, but there was another food reality show out there, and uh, I certainly didn't want to make a reality show about me. And so at first, I was like, nah, I'm not really interested. And then they called back again. They said, well, I think you should take a look at it. And we produced Project Runway, and, and they also did um, Project Greenlight, which I actually was a big fan of, if you remember that. Yes. Um, 
Gulagar, Gulagar from Project Greenlight. So I, I watched that over a, over a, a couple of days. My wife and I binged on Project Runway. All right, this is pretty cool. And he said, it's going to be a food show like this. And, and so they asked me to, to do a screen test and come to LA. I said, no. And they, they sent, they said, well, can we send someone with a, you know, a camcorder just to get you on tape? Like, fine. They came to the restaurant for that. They called again and said, can you come out for a screen test? I told them no. But there was a documentary done on the opening of Kraft. Um, and so I sent them that. And then they called and said, we want to make an offer. And so at that point, it was serious. And, um, you know, I thought about it and I agreed to do it. And um, it was one of the better decisions I've made in my life. <laughs> why um, does the show work? How does it work? No, why does it work? It oh, works incredibly not? well. Like, this is a really good show. Yeah, and I, I, that's for a reason. Yeah, I think, I think that, you know, it, it, was, it was a combination of being the right place at the right time. I think so many people are, are interested in food now. Um, they want to know who the chefs are that are making their food. Uh, they want to see new technique. They want to know about new ingredients and stuff. So I think that's there. And then for the reality junkies, there's a ton of reality there as well. And so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a two-punch combination. Um, I'll throw the sports metaphor in there. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so it, it, it really works. I think it checks a lot of boxes for people. The other reason I think it works is because, you know, and this was something from day one that I insisted upon. I want to, I want real chefs in there. I want a chefs that, that can really hold their own. Yeah. And like first season we had a few, you know, home amateur chefs and we, uh, and they couldn't hang. And then I think second season they wanted the student there and, you know, they went on about this is the best student we've ever had at Culinary Institute. And I was like, fine. The guy lasted one episode. And so if you look at more than any other reality competition show out there, I don't think that any other show has graduated as many uh, contestants into the real world of, you know, of whatever industry they're in. I mean, if you look, there's probably 150 chefs who, who, who competed in Top Chef that are winning awards. They have multiple restaurants um, and they're, they're doing the work. It's, it's not, you know, we're not casting uh, you know, people who are outrageous just to make reality TV. These are real chefs. Um, and I think that's why it's successful. You're seeing the real deal. Um, and, uh, and so I, I think that's, that's part of it. Did you, did you know that you were going to be good on TV? Like there, your, your eye roll is the stuff of legend. Like when you <laughs> did top chef reveal any idiosyncrasies that you didn't know that you had, and did you have to develop a poker face when you're eating a dish, not to give too much away? Um, you know, it's funny. The producers, uh, they, they, they claim I have a tell. The, 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 the contestants don't know it, but the producers do. Um, but uh, oh, we got to figure this out. You, yeah, you have a tell? I, I don't know. I certainly don't. They won't tell me, but they say they think, and, and they're, not, they're, not, they're not always right. Um, but no, I think um, uh, the, eye roll, the eye roll is, is classic. Yeah, I, 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 that, that's a practice thing from when I was probably a kid. Uh, but no, I, you know, my, my thing here, I know a lot of actors, and I'm not an actor. I never, you know, so I don't try to be anything but myself on the show. Um, nothing is scripted. With the exception of sometimes when we introduce a, uh, a challenge or something, but um, judge's table, there's nothing scripted. Even that delivery that I, that I give right before we cut the person, that's off the top of my head. I mean, I think about it in the time between. Oh, some of your puns are fantastic. As a father, they're great. They're well, great. The, the dad, well, you know, that happens. That's just natural. I mean, you know, <laughs> the dad puns are there. You know? <laughs> um, but no, I, I, um, 
I'm not trying to act. I'm trying to be myself. I'm not trying to be outrageous. I'm not trying to, you know, get some zingers in and one-liners in there. And so it's, it's, uh, but no, I had no idea that I would, I mean, I had done some TV before this, uh, but mostly like, you know, Today Show and things like that. But uh, no, I, 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 I didn't know. In fact, you know, the joke in my family is I'm, I'm probably the, I was probably the least likely person to be on TV. <laughs> I know everyone loves all their children equally, but do you have a favorite season? Season, season, I think it was five, whatever season Las Vegas season was. That was also the season that we won our Emmy. I thought um, because it was the deepest bench that we had, you know, you had five people who could easily have won that season. Um, and uh, so that, that's the Voltaggio season you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin was in that season too. That was, was murderous row. I mean, that was a, yeah, there were a lot of good chefs there. And, and uh, I mean, it was, it was some, some serious stuff. That was the first season where, the chefs were cooking on a level and I was just like, kind of stunned. I was like, man, there's just great stuff happening here. Um, and I remember the, the one particular episode, it was funny because the producers thought it was the most boring episode in the world. And it's the episode that we won our Emmy on. Uh-huh. All these French chefs were in Joe Robichon's restaurant and our chefs blew them away. And it was just great to watch these, these you know, mountains of our industry, these, these, these French chefs, Joe Robichon, and I'm forgetting who else was there, but there were some really big names just completely like blown away. Um, and it, it happens again, this, I think this finale, some of the same things happened, but with, with Italian chefs who were some big deal chefs and they were, you know, and actually chefs from all over, all over the world um, in our finale who were just floored. Um, so that's always great to see because, you know, these, these chefs, you know, if they hear the show and they're thinking like, well, well, you know, these chefs, what do they know? And they, they come in and they, they're just like, wow, these guys can cook. This is a real deal. And, you know, to me, that's really important because the one thing that I wanted from the show, somebody asked me early on and I said, I just want respect from the industry that we're doing something that is worthwhile and we're, we're standing up the industry and we're not you know, some joke that people are just going to go from that. That's, that's not real. And so, uh, so yeah, so that was, that was, that was it. That did it for me. Uh, we, we want to do this thing where we ask you open-ended questions, sort of quick, brief questions. I, we, we should have a name for this. Maybe we'll call it quick fire challenge. Good name. Um, <laughs> so starting, you can eat at only one restaurant for the rest of your life, which. Hello listener. Guess who's back. It's me, Anthony Mays, your favorite butcher turned podcast producer. And I'm here to talk to you about ButcherBox. ButcherBox is the most convenient way to get high quality meat and seafood that you can trust delivered straight to your doorstep, free shipping, vacuum sealed packaging. It's ready to go right then. It's ready to pop in the freezer. You get exclusive member deals and a variety of high quality cuts at an amazing value. Going to the grocery store can be a huge pain. You're usually in a rush at an inconvenient time. You're waiting in line at the meat counter. You're taking a number. Maybe this place doesn't have a number. You're jostling with fellow customers. You're trying to get that ribeye that you want or that nice piece of salmon. Maybe the butcher that you're dealing with has a bad attitude or something. I don't know. That was never me. I promise. But maybe it happens. ButcherBox takes all of that 
out of the picture. You are always prepared with meat and seafood in the freezer, and you're not going to find quality for this price anywhere else other than ButcherBox. So sign up at ButcherBox.com Dings, D-I-N-G-S, and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com dings and use code dings, D-I-N-G-S, to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Squirrel in Los Angeles. Really? That's ten. That's an eight minute drive for me. I, I love it. It's, you know, it's the food. Uh, I mean, Jessica's fantastic, and, and it, but it's the food that I want to eat every day. You know, yes. and also like I, I can't sit for four hours. You know, eating twenty courses, I, I lose interest after a while. It goes nuts. I do it because there's just really cool, interesting things out there that I want to see. Um, but boy, that that uh, the crispy rice salad with the, <laughs> I, 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 the preserves are amazing. Like I eat them. I have like, two jars. I have two jars in my refrigerator. <laughs> um, <it's> breakfast. <laughs> in fact, I got to post an Instagram post. But um, you know, it's 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 my it's what it's. I just love it there. It, it's got a great vibe, and you know, no, you know, what I like, what I love about Squirrel is it knows who it is. Jessica knows exactly what that restaurant should be. And just executes it, and there's just a vibe in there, and it's really cool, and the food's fantastic. Tom, after you ride your uh, success as the the food god, you're going to become the president of the United States, and I want to know who is your White House chef. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, that's <laughs> I have no idea. You know, that's a funny position that that White House chef because. You know, you're you're. I, I've seen the kitchen in the White House. It's small, and these state dinners that they do are pretty big. I don't know how they pull it off. Um, I was in the running for a couple of them. They they, they always like, kind of you know push me aside. But it was, wait, wait, so, wait, wait, really? Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to do uh, a anyway, long story, but anyway, um, <laughs> you know, it's very political who gets in, who doesn't get in. Yeah. But um, mm. that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I got to get back to you on that one. I, I okay. really don't know. We'll, we'll circle back. We'll circle back. Tom, yeah. your least favorite food trend or restaurant trend? Uh, microgreens, swooshes on plates. You know, that stuff's got to go. Uh, enough of the swooshes, enough of the microgreens. Um, time to put that to bed. Okay. Um, Guest judge, who's number one on your wish list? The number one draft pick for Tom Calicchio on guest judge that hasn't been on top. Hasn't been. That's has or has? Ha- hasn't or has? Doesn't matter. Well, ha- oh, either? No, hasn't. 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 Absolutely. Okay. okay. Guest judge that hasn't been on. I mean, so many people have been on. Um, uh, 
a stumper. Yeah, it's 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 hard to say. Guest judge that hasn't been. He's uh, kind of humble bragging right now, Kevin, because oh, we've had yeah, so many everybody show. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think of like who hasn't been that um, would be cool to have on. Because I mean, um, I don't know if John George Vondrick can ever have done it. You know, he. I'm not sure if he's done it. All right. He may um, have been in an episode. I don't think he was a judge. Um, but let me think for a second. Um, Alice Waters. She won't do it, but Alice Waters would be great. Berkeley. Yeah. yeah. All right. Because we're shameless, we have a pitch for you for a challenge, and, and here it goes. <laughs> Tomorrow, you'll be feeding a press room full of hungry sports writers, and sports writers are interesting eaters. They tend to like meat and potatoes food, but they're also well-traveled, and we want to avoid anything messy or anything that would put us into a food coma when it's time to write furiously on deadline at 11.30 p.m. So this is something, this is our holy grail, Tom. This is like we're, like, like the, the press room, the, the schlubby media press room challenge. And, and so just, you can find out a way. Too much barbecue sauce gets on the keyboard, can't have that. What do you think? There are parameters. But what's the challenge? That's not a challenge. Oh, come See, on. To make, a, to make a sports writer dish, to make sports... Here's the, to get you know the shit, Tom. We eat in press rooms. Do you know what they feed us? It is like but, but what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing in my ear right now is if I go to my producers and say, "Hey, how about this?" I say, "Okay, but what's the challenge?" The food that is all right. All right. All right. All right. We'll, all right we'll find this, and and we'll come back to it. Uh, we have we have one last question, and this has come up in our little Twitter and and uh, Instagram question. And I'm pretty knowledgeable about gay culture for obvious reasons. But, like, what is the deal with your icon status among gay men? Have you delved into this? Have you inquired? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, 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 I'm full of my sexuality. And, and, uh, but if, 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 if gay men like me, that's, that's great. I love that. I love them, too. I love all people. Um, I don't. I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, well, you said on this this season when you were up at the uh, at the mountain uh, getaway for the moms that this is your fan. This is your fan base, and so I was like, wait a minute, the mom fan base. I don't know. The uh, the whole gay icon status is rivals the mom fan base. It, it's it's good to have all all kinds of fans. And, yes. and yeah, I'm, I'm an equal opportunity fan lover. So uh, <laughs> you have a broad <laughs> coalition. Yeah, you know, it's 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 I, I you know I dig it. It's fine. It's cool. Okay. Uh, last question. Your last supper on death row. What is it? You're not. And we are not going to be on death. Give row, us the Tom. full uh, on the full compliments here. It's not what you think it's going to be. Okay. You know, I, I could very easily say, say, you know, if you really wanted to plan this out, you can choose like 20 restaurants around the world and fly from place to place. That would kind of stretch it out if you could do that. Um, but no, so every, every, every Sunday growing up, um, we, had, we had macaroni and gravy. Uh, it wasn't pasta and it wasn't sauce. It was gravy. Now, in New Jersey, as an Italian-American, you have... Meatballs and sausage. Your mother fries meatballs and sausage. Just a Sunday morning uh, brush roll, um, and that all goes into the marinara sauce. And once that meat goes into the into the sauce, it becomes a gravy. Because by by definition, a gravy is a sauce with meat drippings. So we throw our meat drippings in mm. there, and then that is simmered, and then it's 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 you know served over, over pasta. Um, we called it macaroni, but not pasta, and that would be it. 
Um, that was every Sunday. There was always some sort of salad. It was also a meal that you had around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. It wasn't a dinner, more of a supper. And um, that is the, the meal that I want to go out on. Well, we wish we had another two hours with you, Tom, but you do have to go. Um, we're really enjoying the season. All-Stars, some of the familiar faces, uh, some of your best work this season. And uh, we'd love to have you on again. And, yeah, and we sure. need to work, Kevin. We need to work on our pitch for the... I know, I know. All right, all right. This is constructive criticism. I'm, I'm on it. <laughs> so thanks so much, Tom. <laughs> What's the challenge? You know, is, okay. you know, where is, number one, where's the setting? So this is important. If it's a sport event, what sporting event is it? Is it like an the, NBA game? Finals? Is the NBA Finals? It's you got you got to like you know the All Star game. If okay, NBA All Star game. All right, that's so you got you got to like kind of ramp it up and okay. there has to be another hook. I mean, okay, you know, some we did in Kentucky, right at Ruck. Yes, yeah. of course. Right? Now, there's, there's, a hook there. there's something going on there. Yeah, of course. Sarah, Sarah had a had a rough one that. Um, no, but but Eric's drumlets were classic. We've <laughs> talked about those drumlets with him on this. Do show. you guys remember? More? I have no idea what was cooked. I have <laughs> any of this. All I remember was it was really cool being in Rupp. Um, my brother's a high school basketball coach, and uh, I was like sending him pictures, like you know, like check this out. It was great, but it's it was really cool, and they actually took the floor and when they won the championship in Florida. They they, they had that floor. And that was the floor in the locker room. It was, it was really, really cool. Oh, that's cool. Um, but my yeah, wife, my wife is a huge UK them. fan, so that was yeah. that. That yeah. is, I mean, the yeah, best. I like, I like I'm, I'm a UNC fan, but I, I, I do like Calipari. Yeah. Wow, so much we need to talk about, Tom. Oh, yeah. So much, but we have Kevin. Well, I'll, we have, I'll tell you why. See, I'll, I'll give you a little, a little reason why. So I've always was a UNC fan, um, but back, God, it had to be almost thirty years ago. I, I was dating a woman. Her name was uh, Elizabeth Kearns. Her father was Tommy Kearns. Tommy, Her- Tommy Kearns won the national championship with North Carolina in 1957. Okay? Actually very famous because that was a triple overtime game. They beat Kansas, and they had Will Chamberlain play for Kansas. Tommy was six foot on a good day, and they let him jump center against Will Chamberlain as a guard. <laughs> they knew they weren't going to win the So that was really cool. They went in triple overtime. So anyway, later on in life, um, uh, he introduced me to Dean Smith. And uh, Dean and I had this, this nice little relationship. Dean loved to come, Dean loved food, and he loved to come to New York. And so whenever he came to New York, he would eat my restaurant. He'd always leave me tickets, and I always had great tickets. And so I forget which season was it. The, the when did they win the national championship? Ninety three, eighty two against Georgetown. No, Michigan. Ninety three. Timeout. The, the yeah. Chris, the Chris, the, you know, when Chris Weber for the timeout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that that season, um, at UNC was playing in the Garden. Uh, they were playing against Notre Dame, and so I got tickets, and they were up on the uh, second tier. I didn't mind. I was just loving the game. They actually lost too. Um, and so a couple of days later, I got a handwritten letter from, from Coach Smith saying, "I was. More, I looked up and I saw where you were sitting, and I was mortified." I, I, I'm so sorry, and, and uh, you know, you should have better seats. And I wrote a letter back saying, like, please, like, don't apologize for those seats. But you know, you, you should have, you could have won the game. And but also, I was like shocked that this guy actually knew where I was sitting. He's coaching a game. He actually like anyway. So that's amazing. So anyway, so um, they they win the national championship, and I send I sent him a congratulatory a congratulatory note. And I'm not someone who writes notes, but sent him a note. And I said, you know. Coach, congratulations on an amazing season. This more than makes up for those shitty seats you gave me. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> Which was, was really funny. Um, there you go. 
That is me. That is me with Coach Smith. Oh, very good. Really, that's cool. Um, but I got it. He was such, he was one guy when when I had Gramercy Tavern. He came in for lunch one day, and we've had you know actors and movie stars and rock guys and all kinds of people in there. More people stood up and applauded um, Dean Smith, and he walked in that restaurant and walked oh. over and shook his hand. And, um, but he he was really gracious. He was just a great great guy. And and I, I got to say, um, I also love what he did. Um, um, helping to integrate um, the uh, you know, young, young black men into into uh, you know bad work. He, you know if he was traveling, he insisted they stayed where he was staying. So he he did so much for basketball behind the scenes that most people don't realize. And he was just a great guy, and uh, oh so that's, I'm always always to this day a, a huge Carolina fan. Um, Tom, I will have you know that when I went to college in New York from from Georgia, the two kind of first real restaurants I ate at were like my senior year in 95 at Gramercy Tavern in a little Italian place on 18th Street called Da Umberto. Sure, sure. I, those are like the two real first experiences I had as like a real diner. Cool. Guys, I got to jump off because I got to get on another call with uh, Mike Tirico now. So <laughs> they're buzzing me up right now and I, I think they're going to think I'm, I'm, I'm blowing them off. All right. Awesome. Thank, Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having us. Or having you. Wow. Yeah. Carolina fan. Who knew? Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. 
New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. <laughs> 